Hey everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Military Transition Wellness, the podcast dedicated exclusively to those transitioning for military service. Today we are talking about the importance of having meaning and purpose and direction in your life after the military. And who better to talk about this with than the amazing Lynn Bowman. Lynn, thanks for being here today. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be informed as new episodes become available. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite platform. As always, check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some resources as you begin your health journey. Oh, I love being amazing. Thank you. <laughs> now I really have to deliver, don't I? Got oh, it. absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, will you take a moment to introduce yourself? And you're coming from the unique perspective of a military wife and, and so many different experiences. Well, and I wasn't exactly a military wife. I had the experience that a lot of other people did, actually. I'm married a Marine, after he had come home from a couple tours in Vietnam, he was wearing a three-piece suit. He was a banker uh, and he was tall and good looking and he talked real fast. And of course, the next thing I knew, uh, we were married. And I was uh, the mother of first one and then two more, three kids in quick succession. Uh, I really wanted a home and family. He did too. But our story, Michelle, is, again, it's, it's unfortunately familiar to a lot of families because he changed out of his uniform on the plane into his civvies and he didn't look back and there was no one to talk to. And it was such a contentious time. Uh, I was a protester. It was, you know, just early 70s. And, and he was a Marine and he was a forward observer and saw some pretty hard duty. And, and there was really no one, nothing for him. And I didn't understand at all what his experience had been. He didn't talk about it. Uh, he just had moved on. But he began to unravel in a really dramatic way, which I didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. He was drinking too much. He was <clears throat> disappearing and just being gone. And, and then and I'm not going to go into great detail about all the icky things that happened, but it became clear to me that my life was in danger and my kids' lives were in danger. And wow. he was literally losing his mind. And I just, I had never been around alcoholism. I'd never experienced domestic violence as a young woman growing up. I, I came from one of those homes where no one even raised their voice for Pete's sake. And now I had a guy trying to cut my house in half with a chainsaw in the middle of winter. Uh, and so I, I ran. Um, I took the three kids, two, three, and four, and got on a train and told him a story about going on vacation. And I came from North Carolina back to my home base, sort of, California. My sister said, just come out. I'll help you. We'll, we'll get through this. And so, um, you know, I had no money. And that just what we could carry, literally, three little ones and me on the train, came to California. Uh so, and we, we went through years of battling with him as he battled his own demons. Um, he, of course, blamed me for his troubles because that was what he knew how to do. And it ended, as so often happened in those stories, with him taking his own life. 
after years of struggle. And I, and I still, I talk about this because still in the United States, I think there is a real lack of understanding that more of these guys took their own lives than died in battle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a word that I learned kind of, well, a phrase I should say recently that comes up is moral injury. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the, one of the kind of unspoken uh, evils, let's say, that came out of all of this was that the people who went to do their duty for whatever reason came back, most of them morally injured. What they were doing was not in keeping with what they had been taught by their families as children, by their religion, whatever. It was they had begun to, to live a split life morally. And how can we not expect that to be damaging? It is. It's difficult, damaging. So I'm I'm happy to be on a happier note. I'm happy to be with you, families um, who are uh, part of the military still and making the transition away from the military and whatever spot you are right now, um, because it is a transition and it's a good time to rethink who you are and who you want to be and what you want for your children. And uh, so, yeah, we ha- Michelle has thoughts about it, and I know I do. And we were just talking before we flipped the record switch here about what table means in a family, what it means to gather your family around a table. And so many of us now are not sitting at the table. You moms and dads are racing around in your car and you're taking kids here and there and you're taking yourself here and there and you're eating in the car or you're grabbing, you're driving through and grabbing something and taking it home and somebody's eating before practice and somebody else is eating in front of the TV later on. And what we've given up is this glue, this cement that really, I think, only takes place at the table. When you're sitting, looking at each other, you're hopefully expressing gratitude for the food that's in front of you, for each other, for your life, whatever part of your life you're grateful for. And eating food isn't just food. It's not just food. It's a communion. It's community. it's, um, it's, It's family. And, and sometimes that family is the guy down the hall and, you know, your weird Aunt Ruth. And it doesn't matter who you call family, you know, make your own family. That's fine. But whoever that is sitting around the table uh, is the greatest way to share love along with the food. And um, as Michelle knows, and I will share with you, I've written a book not too long ago, just came out this year called Brownies for Breakfast. And it's uh, basically a book about how to eat smart, uh, how to eat inexpensively, how to make it fast, how to get it on the table and have it all be great, nutritious food because you need to feed yourself and your loved ones good food. Uh, And if you're not, every time you're eating uh, can I just say crappy? I can say crappy, can't I? It's all right. Every time you're eating crappy food, that's not doing yourself or your family justice. It's not, it's not taking the opportunity to nourish yourself in every sense of the word. And I think especially at times, if you're experiencing a transition right now, if you're leaving one life and going to another life, you need all the nutrition of every kind that you can get. You need it and your kids need it. And your weird Aunt Ruth needs it if she's at your table too. <laughs> so that's what I'm all about um, because I'm a granny, right? I'm a grandma. So of course, I'm going to talk about eating good food. 
and it's it's soup, which a lot of us don't do anymore. We think of soup as something either that you get out of a can. No, don't do that. Or something that takes all day and two or three days. It's no soup is simple, easy. You can use up what's in your fridge by making soup. And when you sit down to a hot homemade bowl of soup, something kind of magical happens. You know, it, it, it feels like real food. It looks like real food. It's warm and it fills your belly up. So I don't know how deeply we want to get into all the nutrition part of this, but um, I want everybody eating real food. Uh, and it was Michael Pollan who said, the only thing you, you, you need to know about nutrition is eat food, real food, mostly plants, not too much. And if you don't know Michael Pollan's work, he's a fabulous writer about food. <clears throat> I'm a fan of his. Many people are. Um, but the eat real food idea is actually a big deal. Uh, you know, when, when you think about what real food is and what it isn't, it's not quite as simple as it sounds. Um, so I don't know. Do we want to talk about big food and all the, um, <laughs> wow. well, things? maybe we could kind of go back to your, the importance of the table and that okay. conversation and relationship building. When did you really understand that importance or maybe it evolved over time? I think Michelle, that again, I'm old, I'm 75. So uh, boomer. And so I come from another world and sometimes I feel like I'm coming from another planet in a way because so much has changed in all these years. But when I was growing up, dinner was sacrosanct. I mean, you sat down and you ate dinner, everyone at the same time. Uh, of course, in those days, my dad was the king of the world and he would come home with his briefcase and everyone sort of um, bowed to his superior knowledge and uh, wisdom and so on. And he sat at one end of the table and my mother at the other end of the table and you know, giving us glances like, for Pete's sake, don't tell him I had a cigarette. You know, um, it was it was the 1950s and 60s. And it, but but what happened at that table, which I didn't appreciate until many, many years later, was that we talked. And my dad talked about his day and what he did and where he went. And my mother listened and talked a little bit about hers. But I grew up with this kind of graduate school course in marketing at my dinner table every night that I didn't appreciate because everything that my dad was talking about, I was absorbing, of course. And then I would argue with siblings about it and so on. But so, yes, there was the food part of this, but there was also the culture, what does a dinner table sound like and look like? And at our table, yes, dad was king, but we were all encouraged to ask questions and talk. And, and I also learned to argue, to defend my point of view, to demand, you know, evidence and facts, which when you think about it, huge, right? If, if you learn at the dinner table with your loving, hopefully parents, how to conduct yourself at a table or sort of in public, you know, then when I went to college or when I went to other homes or whatever, when I started work, it was, it was familiar to me. I knew how to go out and eat with people. I knew how to use utensils and a cloth napkin, and I knew where to put my hands and I knew where to look. These things I didn't even think of as skills until I realized talking with my young friends, moms, dads, that there are a couple of generations of kids now 
who have never eaten with utensils much at all, who really don't know where the forks and knives go and who don't know what to do with a cloth napkin because they've been eating out of a bag for 30 years. They've been eating out of a box. So yes, we need to talk about the nutrition that they're not getting in those bags and boxes. And yes, we need to talk about healthful food and what nutrition really means. But also, can we talk about what the other things that you learn at the table? You know, how, how to conduct yourself in grown-up life. Uh, you don't want to send your kids off to a new school or to college being the only one or one of the ones that just doesn't quite know what to do with themselves. You, you know, that's a big, huge part of their education that can really only come from home, mm. as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't have to be fancy, you know, but just basics. And including you never leave the table without taking something with you if you're a guest or if you're in your own home. You pick up a plate, you offer to help, you put it in the dish, you put it on the sink. If your kids are growing up learning that at your kitchen table, it's no big deal for them to go out in the world and know that they have to participate in the meal or that they should or that they should offer and that they don't ever show up anywhere empty handed and that it's always, even if it's your mom, you say, what can I bring? Can I go out and get something out of the garden? It's not just a parent being a servant to the child. You're not your child's servant. You're the teacher. And every time your kids are with you in a room, especially at a table where you eat, you're teaching. Whether you're teaching by bad example, I hope not, or by great example, you're teaching. And so the, the table is not just a table. It's uh, To me, it's kind of a holy place. I love my tables and I love what happens at the table. And I, I'm very involved, as you know, in my community and president of a little foundation. And so there's a lot of politicking that goes on. And that's a, that's a thing where you need to understand the role of food too and table uh, because that's how we come together as humans. You know, if you have a warring tribe out there, um, you need to invite them to your fire. You need to invite them to your tent and sit down with food. And then the tenor changes, it changes. So as you make this transition from one life into another life, I hope you'll think a lot about your table culture that you have at home and how you can make it more nourishing in every way, richer, more fun, more interesting. Um, and I also suggest to parents now that sometimes you need to throw some stuff out of the wagon. You know, parents now think that, that you have to do Mandarin and baseball and music and dance and all these crazy things. And if we don't do this, the kids aren't going to get into the best schools and so on and so forth. So what you've thrown out of the wagon is your dinner table in so many cases. And I'd like to propose that, especially now, when you're changing your life, that that dinner table maybe should stay in the wagon and maybe martial arts goes out, maybe baseball goes out. You know, something has got to give. And I think too often it's your family table culture, your, your family face-to-face -face time is going. And... Um, yeah, I know I'm supposed to talk about food, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's food isn't just food. I know I keep saying that, but it's not just 
food. In the same way that when our babies are born, our infants, we need to hold them when we feed them. They want to be held. They love being held and we love holding them. That doesn't change. When your kids get older, hold them around the table. You know, hold them with your eyes and with your food. Um, don't just send them off to their bedroom with some pizza. That's, that's not teaching them anything except really bad habits. Um, and now should we talk about addiction? <laughs> uh, <laughs> could I ask a question before sure. we do that? Um, let me ask in terms of, you know, that whole relationship building, the, um, the traditions that you may have with food and things of, of that nature, how now, you know, those transitioning from military service, they may or may not have seen really horrific things or been engaged in really horrific things. So how do you kind of keep that in perspective while really bringing back in or drawing from those, those traditions or creating your own traditions to really, to really reestablish those relationships when you get back or when you get out of military service? Well, you know, again, I think there's nothing like eye contact. Um, I think it's too easy now for us to do things as a family where we might be doing side-by-side -side play we might be in the same room, but we're not engaged with one another. There, there's some new games out, Michelle. And I, unfortunately, I'm not going to remember the name of them, but they're typically a set of cards that have a question on them. Like, what was the first time you were in love? Or, you know, some kind of intriguing question. And, and they have different, there, there's a version that's better for younger kids and there's a version that's for teens and so on. And if you see one of those, and maybe we can pull one up for, for the show notes, but that's a great way to get conversation going around the table. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't emphasize too much. I mean, I, I have friends actually my age too, who have admitted that they are not comfortable having a conversation with their kids or initiating a conversation with their kids. And I want everyone to be, to overcome that and to be comfortable having the conversation and initiating the conversation. As we, you know, I grew up talking with my siblings and my parents and around the table, but not every family has a culture like that, but you can build it with some of these kind of fun tools. And it's so worth doing. It's so worth doing for your happiness and it's worth doing for your children's education and their happiness. We need to talk, you know, and I don't care what the computer world is doing. We're still going to need to talk. We have to talk to one another and we have to look at each other and, and be comfortable doing that. So um, I don't know if that qualifies as advice, but that. Uh, sure. Now, how did that, I guess, happen or not happen with with your, your husband who served in Vietnam? I mean, things, times were different back then. Situations were different. There they were. weren't, and, weren't you as know, much, it, many resources perhaps to, to help him. There, there weren't. And for many years, he was in and out of the Veterans Administration and um, ultimately prison for a while and hospitals. Um, it, our family was one of those families you read about on page six, where he um, holed up in a motel with his weapons. And I was warned that we had to leave our house and, you know, uh, hide, which we did. Um, so conversation wasn't 
anything we were thinking about or worried about with him. Uh, there was no conversation with him. It was it was a continuing battle. And I was only actually married to him or with him for such a brief time, for three years, um, maybe four. Uh, so my, my first child was born in 75. And by 1980, I had come to the West Coast. So, and our life was so crazy. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's interesting how we compartmentalize our memory to, I have to struggle to really remember details of what happened because I had these little kids and all I could think about was how to get us all through the next day alive. And I became the sole source of income for us. So I was not only trying to keep us alive, but I, I had to find uh, a way to do that economically. I had to make money. Um, fortunately, I could do that. I lucked out in that uh, I'm a writer, I'm a copywriter or was. And so it was something that I could do freelance. So I would put these babies to bed at eight o'clock at night. I would go to bed with them at the same time. I would get up at 2 a.m. and work all night. And then I would wake them up at seven, do all the things you do with little kids and then put them in the car and then deliver my, my work. Um, it's, when I think about it now, I think, oh, Lord, uh, because I talk a lot about sleep, as you know, and how essential it is uh, to all of us. But there are times in your life when it just can't it, for some reason or other, you know, it's just not going to be possible. Uh, I've been there. I know, uh, which is maybe why I treasure it. So now I feel so fortunate to be able to actually turn the lights off. And I want that for everybody. And we're learning so much. It's a whole other subject, maybe another show. We are learning so much about circadian rhythm, about how light strikes our eyeballs and affects our whole system and, and changes our hormones and everything. And, and I, I like to talk about it when we talk about food because it affects how we digest our food, how we metabolize our food. And uh, if you think you can cheat the clock and not sleep and just keep working and be okay, you can't. So another thing, let's say, particularly to, to you families that are transitioning, it is a big disruption in your life. It's a stress and you need to treat it as such. And one of the ways you can uh, guard your health and your family's health through this transition is to sleep. Make sure you're sleeping. And a, a thing I didn't learn until very late, uh, fairly recent last couple of years, is that we cannot heal unless we are in deepest sleep. And that involves a whole lot of different processes that take place in your cells and your body. But be mindful when you are changing your life, you are under more stress than usual. It's a fairly constant, sometimes low level stress. So sleep becomes more important than ever. Not just for you, but for your kids and your teens who don't want to sleep and they are metabolically, you know, resisting sleep. And I get it. I've got a 14 year old granddaughter. So I'm continually reminded that her life is so upside down from mine. But as, as families going through a transition, please be especially conscious of your sleep. You need it more than ever. And not just five hours a night, uh, seven, eight hours a night. Mm. Okay. Now, how do, for those transitioning out, how do they 
find that that meaning and that purpose of life because their military life may be completely different from what they're they intend to do or or possibilities of doing and afterwards so how does that how do they reconcile those, those different opportunities or that's an interesting question and it would be so wonderful to have a conversation about this with lots of families because every family family is going to be different um, and what I do know about the military, um, having uncles who fought in the big one and so on, and, and of course my, my ex, is that that's a built-in purpose. That's a purpose that's, that's inculcated in us and that kind of rules your life in, in many ways. Um, so I'm not sure I have anything really, really helpful to say about that, except to stay, this is a time in your life when being open is probably going to pay off for you. Just keep asking yourself to be as open as you can to, to the messages that are out there for you. Reading and reading consciously things that are positive and uplifting. Trying not to consume a lot of crappy uh, media. You know, it's very easy to be kind of caught in this tidal wave of movies. And I mean, there's some wonderful stuff to see. And there's a lot of stuff that is just going to make you scratch your head and wonder what your life is all about. So resist letting yourself be drawn into media that is negative and uh, not helpful in any way. Um, Take a class you know, experiment and explore there. And one of the crazy things that's happened because of COVID is that there are all these amazing online courses that cost little or nothing that you can dabble in and see if that lights your fire a little bit. You know, if you've always loved doing ceramics or thought you might like to do ceramics, you can actually take a ceramics class online. Who knew? I mean, isn't that kind of magical? You know, you can join a book club online. Uh, You can have an exercise group online. So if you're in the middle of maybe moving states or countries or whatever, you can still get online and get a sense of rootedness from a personality or a a subject that appeals to you. Um, There's not enough time in the day, I think, to, to take advantage of some of the really cool things that are offered. I, I think of myself as an artist, even though I haven't been doing a whole lot of art lately, but um, there are so many wonderful art classes online, you know, printmaking and, and fabric dyeing and all kinds of things. And if you, if you haven't been doing anything crafty or anything with your hands, do it. It is so good for your brain. It's great for your brain. Uh, it's great for your nervous system. And um, going back to the circadian rhythm thing, get a little more in touch with what your body needs, because as humans now, we're not very good about that. So let your, let your feet touch the earth. There, there is all kinds of magnetic energy coming out of the earth that we've been missing because we were wearing shoes and sitting in chairs and so on. So make a pact with yourself that you're going to actually let your feet touch the earth and you're going to take energy from the earth and then let some sunlight hit your skin as early in the morning as you can. And you can actually feel 
a health result from that. You're, we've talked a little bit about circadian rhythm. It's really important, you, not through windows. You have to actually get the sunlight from the actual sky. And the earlier you do that, the better. So let your feet touch the earth. Let the sun touch your skin. Try and moderate the information that's coming to you and, and filter it and make sure it's adding to your life and not subtracting from your life. And buy my book. <laughs> you can love it. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, those are, those are very general things, but how many of us are doing those things? And so when you're make, it, it, during a time that you're making this transition, uh, any of us who make these major transitions, that's when you can really step your game up, you know, and, and think through what you're doing and how you're doing it. And don't just keep doing the same things if they're not serving you in some way. Because, yeah, you get to totally focus now on a different purpose, whatever your purpose is. And you don't have to know it. You know, go out and sniff around. Um, let yourself be attracted to people who are doing interesting things and ask yourself why that's attractive to you. What is it that's so interesting about that? Um, let yourself explore. What a great time to really just open the doors up and let yourself explore. Mm, definitely. I love that. Now, now thinking back with, with your own experiences of having, um, you know, after, after your husband, um, you know, took his life and, and, and so forth, you were kind of rebuilding and refinding your own purpose. What was that like for you? Well, Michelle, I never, I was kind of an old timey girl in that, what I wanted from my life was a home and children. That was what I wanted. And so for me, it was so hard fought keeping myself and my children alive and trying to have a home mm -hmm. that I don't know that I ever got far beyond that. And my interest in health was based on being determined that I was going to be there for them. I was going to be their defender. I was going to make sure they were okay. And to do that, I had to be strong. I had to be on my feet. And I found out, as you know, early in my life that I was a type 2 diabetic. So I, I thought, okay, I need to handle that. I need to take care of that. And there wasn't a lot of help out there. There wasn't a lot of good information. So I made it my purpose, if you will, to find out how to stay healthy. And which is why I'm still out here talking about it, because we now have a country where 85 percent of us have a chronic disease. 85% of us have a preventable or manageable or reversible chronic disease. So that's my purpose. I'm out here hollering, <laughs> you know, being trying to be everybody's grandma saying, you've got things to do. You have challenges. Your health doesn't need to be one of them. You have a lot of things to spend your money on. Please don't have to spend it all just staying alive. You know, we've, we've got a horrible situation in the United States where something like 85% of the bankruptcies are because of health-related expenses. Mm -hmm. So taking care of your health isn't just trying to stay perky. I mean, that's a good thing. It's keeping your money healthy and keeping yourself functional on your feet and protecting your family from losing you and losing 
your income. It's all these things and you don't appreciate it until you're taken off your feet and then it's too late. Um, so I know preventive health isn't very glamorous, right? It's not very sexy, but uh, it's important. It's huge. And I don't know of anything more important, especially going to say again, if you're making this transition from military life, it's, it's almost, it's like losing a spouse, losing a job. These are the biggest stresses in life. And you need to be cognizant that when you are stressed is when you are especially, especially going to need to feed yourself and nourish yourself and your family in every way. So your, your movement, you need to be moving, you need the sunshine, the feet on the ground, and make sure that every meal, every bit of food that you eat is actually feeding you and not poisoning you. So I'm going to put a small plug in here about sugar because everybody's eating way too much sugar, packaged food, anything with a label on it. I want you to please, maybe, please, when you're making this transition, use it to transition away from crappy food and into really nourishing food along with media and anything else that you can think of that will nourish and keep you strong. Yes. And now as a little teaser for your book, you're talking about, you know, sugar and things like that, but yet you, your the title of your book is brownies for breakfast. So how do you reconcile that? Yes, ma'am. My brownies, <laughs> my brownies that I will put, I will slap down on the table with anybody's brownies at any potluck anywhere. They are made with nut butter, pumpkin, and they're sweetened with monk fruit or chicory root sweeteners, which excellent sweeteners. I'll tell you all about it in the book. Um, the artificial quote unquote sweeteners aren't bad anymore. There's some wonderful ones that aren't even artificial. They're made out of actual food, real food. Um, and they do a great job if you're baking. So my book is full of donuts and pancakes and cookies and all these things that you can make with excellent ingredients, not processed flour, not oil, no dairy. They are meals, healthy meals in the form of a cookie or a donut or a brownie. There, there's a lot of savory food in the book as well. It's all how to easily, simply put a good meal on the table for everybody that everybody can eat. So crazy Aunt Ruth, your diabetic uncle, your picky kids, everybody can eat the same wonderful food. It's colorful, it's tasty, but I'm, I, I talk about some techniques that allow you to, for just one little example, macaroni and cheese. And I'm not, I didn't invent this, but I'm, I maybe brought it to a high level where you use uh, creamed cauliflower and vegan cheese and a little bit of uh, nutritional yeast flakes and a little bit of Dijon mustard. And the macaroni and cheese is great, but it's healthy. It's delicious and good for you. So um, it's a sort of practical introduction maybe to whole food, plant-based eating, which there's a ton of science now about how that's the way to live longer and better and prevent disease for everybody. Fantastic. Two diabetics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Lynn, how can people get in contact with you? I love it when people go on my website, lynnbowman.com. It's L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N. Dot com. You can sign up on Lynn's list. It's right there on the front page, I think, of my website. And I will send you recipes as I develop them uh, and some other little tips. 
And um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all those places. Just search for Lynn Bowman or Lynn Parmiter Bowman is my author name. So that's L-Y-N-N-E-P-A-R-M-I-T-E-R, Bowman, B-O-W-M-A-N. Um, and I... I really love hearing from it. There's a firm, there's a little form on the website where you can get in touch with me and send me pictures of what you're cooking or ask me questions or whatever. I love it when people actually use the recipes and then, and then send me the evidence, whether it works out great or not. Uh, I, I like to stay in touch with people about how they're doing with this. I'm not doing it just to have a book out there. I want you using the recipes and enjoying it with your family. Fantastic. Thank you. We will include all of those in the show notes. Lynn, keep being amazing. You are really an inspiration of dinner table things, traditions, relationships, so many important things for those transitioning from military service. So thank, thank you, you so Michelle. Much. And I'm so glad you're doing the show and I'm, I'm happy to be able to be part of it with you. This has been great.